Well, good evening. I, I love this congregation. I love this church family. And I, I love every time that I get to, to come back and be a part of a, a service here. I, at Baker Heights, when I preached over there, I, I loved and cherished the, the legacy, the shared legacy and heritage and history that our two congregations had in common. Um, and now, even moving on, I, I love to come back. I appreciate Chris so much for letting me be a part of this. So thank you for that. But most of all, thank you, Oldham Lane, for what you're doing with the preacher training camp. I was thinking about that as I drove over here this afternoon, thinking, you know, if these young men go on and touch countless lives, and then those lives continue to be touched, and and then more and more, that multiplication factor, the number, the multitude of people that their lives can be changed because of what you're doing now in investing in these young men and their future ministries, their current ministries and their future ministries. And guys, I just want to say thank you uh, for being here. As Wayne prayed in his prayer a minute ago, there's, we know there's a million other places that you could be and things that you could be doing, but you chose to be here and, and studying these things and thinking about these things and preparing for these things and being together, whatever you choose to do in the coming years, I know that you will be a blessing uh, to God's kingdom. So thank you for being here. And uh, if I can ever be of service to you guys, I, I, want, to, I want to be able to do that. I'm going to specifically talk to these guys because that was kind of my assignment. Uh, but I hope that we can all uh, learn from and think about uh, what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at John chapter 8. We're going to think about Jesus. We can, Actually, you can go back. You don't have to get there yet. I'm sorry. I, I confused them. Uh, if we're going to talk about preaching and we're going to talk about any sort of ministry and helping people and loving people and teaching people, then the person I think that we ought to emulate and think about, the person in whose footsteps we must follow is Jesus. And Jesus was known for a couple of different things that at first might seem contradictory. In fact, that's kind of what I want to focus on. He, he, had the, he was known for teaching morality and having an incredibly high standard of morality and purity and righteousness. I mean, so much so that he would say things like, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, right? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He, he would say that he didn't come to abolish the law, that he upheld everything that Moses ta- taught, and he wouldn't contradict anything in the law. In fact, he told people that their righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisees. So here's a guy who taught Scripture, and he taught there are things that are right and things that are wrong. He had an incredibly high standard of morality. But then at the same time, he was also known for hanging out with the world's most immoral people. The people that everybody else looked at and said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't eat a meal with that person. I wouldn't go across the street to talk to that person. That person is worthless. And Jesus was always hanging out with these, quote, sinners, right? And so here was a person who had an incredibly high, a, a preacher, a teacher, a rabbi, somebody who many obviously claimed was the Messiah, and we believe is true, right? We believe is the Son of God. And here is a person who, on the one hand, taught that here is right and here is wrong, and you need to live this way, but at the same time would hang out with some of the most immoral people. And I wonder, 
as we think about sending our young people into the world to emulate Jesus, and when we as Christians, all of us, think about being disciples of Jesus, is that the sort of tension that we're okay with in our life? Do we encourage our young people to do that, to, yes, teach a high moral biblical standard, and at the same time, hang out with and love, eat with, and bless immoral people, the people that have rebelled against what's right and wrong the very most. That's the kind of life that Jesus was, was leading, a life of preaching morality and righteousness and purity, but at the sp same time spending time with the most immoral people in the community. Do you think that's even possible for people to do? I, I wonder sometimes, do, do, do we think that's impossible to teach the truth and to teach a high standard of morality and righteousness and purity and still be friends with and love immoral people? Sometimes I think we think you can't do both of those. You got to do one or the other. Either you have to toe the line and teach the truth and tell people where they're wrong, or we hang out with immoral people, but you can't do both. You see, the Pharisees believed that. The Pharisees believed that you couldn't do both. And they thought Jesus would, would give on one or the other of those. They looked at Jesus and they said, yeah, I mean, you talk a good game and you talk about the law and you talk about following the law and you talk about a high standard of purity and morality. But the Pharisees believed, in fact, the word Pharisee means separate. They believed if you were really going to have a high standard of morality, then you couldn't associate with those, those kinds of people. And so they believed that, that Jesus really didn't have a high standard of morality because if he did, he wouldn't spend time with people like that. They believed that purity meant separation. So let's look at our text, John chapter 8 and verse 2, because they thought that on these two points they could trap Jesus. Look at John 8 and verse 2. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. I this is kind of a side note, but especially for you guys, listen, but especially, I, but it pertains to all of us, that as preachers and teachers and any ministry that we do in sharing the good news, we're not just emulating Jesus, because Jesus hasn't stopped teaching people. He taught people during His earthly ministry, but He continues to teach people. And so if we're going to be preachers and teachers and evangelists, if we're going to share the good news with our family and our friends and our neighbors, then we are partnering with Jesus, partnering with Jesus. So as we walk through this and we walk through and think about how Jesus lived his life and conducted his ministry, then we have to think about how do we partner with him in that. It says, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. It was a test. It was a trap. They said, on the one hand, the law commands you to stone this woman, but but at the same time, they knew Jesus and that he had the reputation of eating with these kind of people. 
and loving these kinds of sinners. And so they said, okay, we're going to bring one of them to Jesus. We're going to catch her in the act, and we're going to bring her to Jesus, and we're going to see what he does. Is he going to say, listen, the law was wrong. Never mind. Just forget it. Don't, don't be so harsh on her. The law was wrong. Or is he going to say, okay, fine, stone her? Is he going to contradict the law, or is he going to condone the sinful behavior? That's sort of the trap, isn't it? And let's kind of walk through that for just a second. Because on the one hand, the law is right. The law is right. Sin does bring about death. Sin hurts everybody. This sin that she was caught up in and every sin, every sin hurts people. In this particular sin, people are betrayed and people are hurt. People are devastated. Lives are broken. It's not just the person who has sinned. It's the person that they've sinned with and the person they've sinned against. It's the community. It's the family. Everything breaks down with sin. So on the one hand, the law is right. And it's right to say this behavior is wrong. And the law, the law was put there so that these kinds of things didn't exist among the family of God because sin destroys people, sin destroys families, sin destroys communities, sin destroys churches, sin destroys cultures. So the law is right that this kind of behavior or any kind of sinful behavior can't be tolerated. So Jesus couldn't say, well, the law is wrong. You know, listen, let's not be so harsh on people. Let's not, you know, let's not you know, hold up the law. The law is right. Sin is devastating and sin brings about death. But on the other hand, see, Jesus wasn't in the business of condemnation. Jesus wasn't in the business of kicking people out. He was in the business of bringing people in. Jesus was on a mission of salvation, not condemnation. Look at John chapter 3, 16 and 17, a passage we know well, but I think we need to really think about. And if, if you're going to go into ministry of any type, if any of us are going to minister to anybody, we need to understand that Jesus was and is on a mission of salvation, not condemnation. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. For, I mean, that phrase alone, for God so loved the world. In the Gospel of John, John depicts the world as a dark and broken place full of death. And God looked down on this broken and dark world, and he didn't say, I hate you. I hate all of you rebellious, sinful, wicked, disgusting people. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'm done with you. I, I don't even want to look at you. He didn't say that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now look, look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus wasn't on a mission of condemnation. Jesus was on a mission of salvation. Jesus wasn't in the business of kicking people out and making sure the bad people stayed out. Jesus was in the business of bringing people in, restoring people, redeeming people, bringing the lost and the broken and the hurting back into the fold. That's the sort of ministry Jesus was doing. That's the sort of mission Jesus was on. 
That's the sort of mission Jesus is on. He's on a mission of salvation, not condemnation. Now go back, excuse me, go back to verse 5 one more time. Let's look at verse 5 where it says, it says, such women. You see that? Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now in the Greek, it doesn't actually say such women, but I think the ESV captures an interesting idea there, such women. See, the very fact that they brought the woman and not the man she was with to Jesus shows that they were holding her to a different standard than they were holding him to. In a second, we'll see that they were holding her to a different standard than they even held themselves to. But to these men, they knew that they couldn't legally put her to death. Under Roman law, the Jews couldn't stone her anyway. So they didn't expect Jesus to say, hey, let's stone her. They weren't about to stone her. They were content to use her as a pawn in their trap for Jesus. They didn't really think about her as a person. They thought about her as an object, a pawn to win a debate, a pawn to, to win an argument. You see, that's what we too often tend to do. We tend to dehumanize people, and we talk about people as such people. You know, those kind of people, those kind of women, those kind of men, those kind of people. And we don't treat them like human beings who are made in the image of God. We don't treat them like people at all. We treat them like pawns. And maybe they're wrong. Maybe their beliefs or maybe their behavior or maybe their lifestyle is legitimately wrong. Her, her life and the, where, the way she was right at that moment and what she was doing was wrong. But it didn't change the fact that she was a person. But they weren't treating her like a person. She was just a thing, an object, a pawn to win a debate and an argument. And church, I wonder if we would stop and think about, are there people in our world, in our culture, in our life, maybe even people that we know, that we don't treat them like people. They're pawns to win arguments and debate. We, we engage in philosophical and religious debates, and there are some people that we don't treat like people. They're those people. In fact, the last time I preached this message, I, I asked the church, think about people of other religious groups, Buddhists or Hindus, Muslims. And do we treat them like people? Do we think of them as people made in the image of God? People that are engaging in wrong behavior, people that have wrong beliefs, people that are doing things that are illegal or bad or immoral or whatever the case may be. To these men, these Pharisees, they weren't interested in her as a human being. They were interested in trapping Jesus, and they treated her and everyone like her and the tax collectors and all of the other sinners as those kinds of people. Who do we treat like that? And guys, listen, if, if you get to the point where you're in the pulpit and you preach God's word, I beg you, don't talk about people this way. Don't treat people like pawns to win arguments and debates. No matter how sinful a person is, no matter how sinful their behavior is, no matter how wrong they may be, people are still people. And every person is made in the image of God. People are people, no matter how sinful their actions. Look at verse 6. 
the latter part of verse 6. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Now, I know when you got, saw me go into this text, you're like, Wes is going to tell us what he wrote on the ground, right? We've wondered for 2,000 years, what did Jesus write on the ground? Well, if the text told us, then, then we would know, but it doesn't, it doesn't tell us. In fact, that not only does it not tell us, it doesn't even say that the Pharisees and scribes even reacted to whatever it is that Jesus wrote. So maybe the important question isn't what Jesus wrote, but why did he write? Why did he write on the ground? Maybe some people think that maybe it's an allusion to Jeremiah 17 and verse 13, which says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. For they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Maybe. maybe. Maybe it was a way of delaying in order to ponder his response. Maybe it was a way to indicate that he knew that their question was a setup and was a trap. Because look at verse 7. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them. So he only really answered the question after they continued to press him. And here's his answer. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. <laughs> I love this, don't you? I mean, we all know that Jesus is wise, that Jesus is God in the flesh. But when I read this passage, I think about Solomon. You remember Solomon when the two moms came with the baby and, and Solomon had to decide how he was going to handle that situation? That's exactly the sort of thing Jesus is doing. He's engaging with them with the wisdom of Solomon. And, and really, he gives them the permission to carry out their condemnation if, if, they have the moral purity to do so. You see, in the law, Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 7, the person who was the first to carry out an execution, if somebody did something that was worthy of death, then the person who had to put their hand on them first needed to be a witness, somebody who had witnessed the crime. You see, but you got a problem if the witness is also guilty, right? If the witness is guilty of the same crime or a similar crime, or the witness is guilty of using that person or being a false witness against that person, you have a problem. So Jesus says, whoever's sinless, whoever's without sin, maybe that means sinless in the act of adultery, sinless in this sin, or, or maybe it's sinless in the matter of being a reliable witness, or maybe it's sinless in general, whoever has no sin. But whatever it is, Jesus is one calling their bluff, right? He's like, I know you're not actually going to stone her, but he's calling their bluff, but he's also turning the tables and putting them on trial. Now it's no longer the woman who's on trial, now it's them who's on trial and says, if you can acquit yourself, then you can condemn her. But you can't condemn her until you acquit yourself. So now you're on trial. Let's see if you measure up. And of course, they realized that they too had sin and were in no place to condemn. And guys, listen, we don't need any more preachers who decide to be the judge and jury. We don't need any more preachers who are in the business of throwing stones. We need preachers who recognize their own sinfulness, their own brokenness, their own need for mercy, their own need for grace, their own need for salvation. Jesus helped these guys, thankfully, to realize their need for mercy. And if you and I are going to stand in the pulpit, 
or we're going to teach Bible classes, or even if we're going to share the good news with somebody, then we've got to be the kind of men. All of us have to be the kind of people who recognize our own sin. The world doesn't need any more Christians who are in the business of throwing stones. We don't need any more Christians or any more disciples, any more preachers who want to take it upon themselves to be the judge and the jury the way these men had attempted to do. Verse 9, when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. They left, of course, because they didn't pass the test. They couldn't, in all honesty, they could not acquit themselves, and they found themselves guilty. And so here we have an ironic situation. Now for the very first time, she stands before the only one who is sinless. The only one, if he wanted to condemn, he's the only one in a position who could because he's the only one that's not guilty. And so if there was one man in that whole crowd of men that were talking about this woman who could condemn her and stone her and say, you're guilty and you deserve to die, it was Jesus. And now she stood before the only one who could legitimately condemn her. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And do you know that this is the very first time in the story that anybody has talked to her? The rest of the time, everybody's talking about her and not talking to her. But Jesus saw her. Jesus knew her. Jesus knew her sin. Jesus knew her story. Jesus loved her, and Jesus treated her like a person. And he talked to sinful people, not about sinful people. And he says, has no one, is no one here to condemn you? And she said, verse 11, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, go and from now on sin no more. That one sentence, it sums up, it sums up the gospel. It sums up this story. It sums up what Jesus is all about. Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. I want us to think about three takeaways in this story, three takeaways from this story, and, and that really from this one sentence, in fact. Number one, Jesus is on a mission of salvation, not condemnation. That was his whole mission. It wasn't to come into the world and just to remind all of the adulterers and all the tax collectors and all the broken and sinful and rebellious children of Israel, you're all sinful, you've all done bad, you've all broken the law. His mission was to bring people in. And notice, I don't say it was, it is. Jesus continues to be on that mission. That's what the book of Acts is all about, isn't it? Jesus continuing his mission in Judea, Samaria, Galilee, to the ends of the earth. Not a mission of condemnation, but a mission of salvation, a mission of bringing people home. Number two, people are people no matter how sinful their actions. People are people. Every person has a story. I know you turn on the news, and I know whatever news station you listen to on whichever political end of the spectrum it is, I know that people are used like pawns. But that shouldn't be the case in the pulpit. And it shouldn't be the case in Bible classes. And it shouldn't be the case as we deal with our neighbors and our friends. And guys, listen, if you preach the gospel in whatever way you minister to people in the kingdom of God, remember that people 
are people. And every person, no matter how sinful and rebellious or immoral they are, remember, they all have a story just like you do. Because you've been the person, and I've been the person, and we've all been the person, haven't we, that's been caught in sin, and we needed mercy, and we needed to be treated like a person, and that's what Jesus does for people, is Jesus treats people like people, no matter how sinful their actions. And if we're going to stand in the pulpit, let's talk to people that are there, Talk to people and not just about people. Because it's super easy, guys, listen, it's super easy to get into a pulpit or get into a Bible class and teach about those people out there. You know, all those sinners out there, all those whatever out there. It's super easy to do that. But Jesus calls us to treat people like people, to love them, to be on a mission of salvation, not condemnation. And then three, and this is so incredibly important, that correction and mercy are not mutually exclusive. Sometimes we treat them like they are. Sometimes we treat it like you either have to be merciful or you have to correct people's bad behavior, but you can't do both. If you correct people's bad behavior, you're not being loving, you're not being merciful, or if you do the other. But you can do both. And isn't that what Jesus did? He said, neither do I condemn you. I'm not in the business of condemnation. I'm in the business of salvation. He, he said, neither do I condemn you, but he also said, go, and from now on, sin no more. That's what, that's what we need in the pulpit. That's what we need in Bible classes. That's what we need in dealing with our family and our friends. They need both. They need correction and they need mercy. You need both. I need both. We all need both, don't we? We need somebody to be merciful to us, treat us better than we deserve to be treated, and we also need people to tell us when we're wrong. Because if you love people, you don't let them go down the wrong path without correcting them. Loving them enough to say, that's dangerous, that's harmful to you and to your family, to our community. So love people enough to do both. Have mercy and correct them. So I wanna end with this final simple question, or this final simple idea. You are invited to join Jesus, to partner with Jesus on His mission of salvation. If you become gospel preachers, and that's what you devote your life to, or maybe you work in youth ministry or involvement ministry, or maybe you, I don't know, maybe you're a vocational minister, you have all kinds of other jobs that you do, whatever you do, and all of us as we deal with maybe kids that have wandered away, maybe parents that aren't faithful to the Lord, maybe neighbors or coworkers or classmates, we're invited by Jesus to partner with Him on a mission of salvation, of bringing lost sheep back to Him. The sons and daughters of Adam and Eve are all around us, and yes, they're broken and they're hurting and they're rebellious and they, they've got stories and they've got sin and they've got pain and they need us to partner with Jesus and to love them, to treat them like people, to correct when they're going astray and to show them mercy and love. And so let's take Jesus up on his invitation. What do you think? Because when we responded to the gospel ourselves and Jesus showed us mercy and he corrected our behavior. And when we came up out of that water to walk in newness of life, we were committing to a partnership, weren't we? 
that with all of the body of Christ, that we would go into our community and with our family and with everyone we come into contact with, and we would do our part to bring people to Jesus. So let's do that this week. Let's do that next month, next year, with the rest of our lives. Join with Jesus on his mission of salvation. If we can help you in any way tonight, if you're ready to become a child of God, or you have sin that you need to confess, I know that can be hard because you don't know what you'll find. If you'll find somebody like Jesus who will offer mercy and correction, or if you'll find somebody like the Pharisees. But I believe that in this place, you will find mercy and gentle correction if that's what you need. But maybe you just need prayers or encouragement. This church family would love to walk with you and help you any way you need them. So now's a great opportunity to come forward as we stand and sing.